0: Alrighty, alrighty. If you would, grab your notes. More importantly, grab your Bible. How about that? Um, got your Bible with you. I'd invite you to turn with me to Genesis 32. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the story about when uh, Jacob clinched up and went toe-to-toe with God uh, in a wrestling match. Uh, I don't know why I am the way I am. Thank you, Josh, for the awkward train. I'll try not to take the wheels off the awkward train. But uh, I do have, in, in, in the spirit of that conversation, um, y'all know, like, I, I had to go through every personality under the sun. I was a surfer. I was a skater. And in the weird mix of this identity crisis I was in, I got a confession. And this is weird before we get started, but bear with me. I thought I was going to be a real cowboy. I say, yeah, as you look at me, you think, oh, there's no way. No, I had dreams of being a rodeo cowboy, actually. I thought I was a bull rider, but just never been alone with a bull. Man, I had, I had no joke, I had the hats, I had the boots, I had the tightest jeans, I had the buckle. I was picking out spurs, and all I needed was a chance. Uh, again, this was somewhere between surfer and like construction marker or something. It was, it was weirdly placed, just to say. Um, but I thought I was a cowboy, but never been alone with a bull. Never had to cling on for dear life. And I never got that, that signature cowboy walk, you know, where he's halted on the thigh. You know what I'm talking about? That, I never got that either. I don't know why, but I was telling the story. Uh, they were like, hey, what are you, what are you preaching this weekend at, at church? And I'm like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm talking about when Jacob wrestled God. And he clung and he never let go. And as I said that, that story came to mind. I was like, like I wonder if it was like that, just like hanging on for dear life. So I say all that to say, let's, let's, uh, let's get a little more into the book. Let's look at Genesis 32. Let's read. And I definitely need to pray. Uh, Josh, am I disappointing on the awkward? I, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address, hey, you just hang on to that nugget, Okay. You just, you just hang on. I, I'm going to address that in a minute, sir. Uh, all right, Genesis 32, let's start at verse 24. We need, we need it, man. Uh, it's, the Bible says, starting in verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the break of day, or, until the breaking of the day, I'm sorry. And when he saw that he had prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. As he wrestled with him, he said, "Let me go, for the day breaketh." And he said, I will not let thee go except uh, thou bless me. Verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore, um, what is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. I think I'm saying that right. For he had seen God face to face, and my life was preserved. And he saw, and he passed over Pen- uh, Penuel, and uh, the sun arose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew of the sh- uh, of the shank, shrank, which shrank. Which I'm sorry. Uh, which therefore the children. Let's back up thirty two. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, that was a tongue twister for me, which is upon the hollow of the thigh until, until this day, because he touched the hollow of, uh, of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. All right, so let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we do love you. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for already that, that we're laughing and enjoying, but, but as we buckle down and get into your word, I pray that, that we come with sincere hearts, um, hearts that are willing to change at your word. Your word is, is not something to be taken lightly, and as we're going to see, Father, I pray that we would cling to your word, um, and in that, I pray we would be changed by your word, and I know that your word has the power to change us, but it's based on our belief. It says that upon our belief, it can work effectually in our lives, so I pray just that for everybody here. I know what you've done for me in this passage, and I pray that, uh, that we could leave here saying just like Jacob, that I saw God face to face, and we could be changed. Father, we love you in all these things, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So really quick, I want to hit the historical kind of where we're at in the story. Again, there's a lot of verses there, but Jacob had left um, Panoram, something like that, after 20 years of serving Laban. If you remember, Laban, he served 14 years for two wives, seven for one, seven the other, and then he he served another six, making it 20 years for cattle and a whole bunch, bunch of substance. Right before this, you would, have, you would have saw that in that encounter with Laban, that Rachel has hidden her father's idols with her. And Jacob is about to face Esau and fearing for his life. In that fear, he decided to split up his wives. He said, hey, if I split them up, if they attack one, they won't get the other. So now Rachel and Leah are split as they, they were sent over that river, Jabbok, ahead of him. And he's left behind to meet God face to face. That's kind of where we sit historically, but I want to connect this doctrinally for us because, because what we're going to see is the doctrinal picture is going to give us the keys to unlock our devotional application. So in the chapter right before this, you see there's a peace covenant made with a Syrian, Laban, who is a picture, a type and picture of the Antichrist. And if you harken back to last week, we were in Revelation 6. Revelation 6, we talked about a rider of a white horse that had a bow and a crown. Y'all remember this? Y'all looking at me? Okay. So what we're saying is there's, a, there's this conquering horse rider that had a bow with no arrows that we said I mean, he's going to conquer by way of peace. So now you have a Syrian making peace with, with, uh, with Israel or Jacob. Now there's idols, just like we talked about in the house of Jacob. As we mentioned, Rachel took those from Laban. So there's idols in Jacob's house. There's, there's this splitting. So uh, Rachel and Leah are split, just like Israel is divided between Judah and Israel. Another picture is we're actually between sons. And this is kind of neat. So in our story in Genesis 32, um, Benjamin hasn't been born yet. Joseph was. Joseph, in type and picture, is an, is an incredible, incredible type and picture of a suffering servant of Jesus Christ. Pictured in his first ministry very, very well. Benjamin, his name is son of my right hand. So we are, again, if I was painting that doctrinal picture, we are in between a suffering son and the son of my right hand that's that's meant to rule. So we see that we're in between, doctrinally, in between the two advents of Christ. Next, um, we see that before, it's before the breaking of the day, and, and later in the text it says, when the sun arose upon him. We have to understand that, before the breaking of the day, and we kind of had a conversation before this, day's cal- God's calendar, his day is structured night first, then day, right? So we're in the night, and he's about to rise, like Malachi 4.2 says, he's gonna, the Son of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. So we're not at the second advent, again, strengthening that picture. Jacob, or Israel, is left alone. And, we, and, and our doctrinal key that puts this right in place for us is going to be out of Romans 25 and 26, where it says, hey, uh, man, don't be blinded by your own conceit. God is not done with Israel. In that passage, if you backed up to verse 3, it's, uh, it says that I was left alone and they seek my life. So again, just like Elijah was left alone and, and God's not done with Israel, he might have left them alone, but he's not done. Doctrinally, Jacob is left alone here. And, and the last kind of point we're going to make here in the doctrinal context is Jacob or Israel, and I think I have a slide to show you this, will have to prevail to the end to be preserved. Yep, okay. So there's some things we need to grab out of this because this is the importance of doctrine. The importance of doctrine is that, that for Jacob to prevail and to be preserved the end, you have to understand that he must cling and not fall. But this puts in doctrinal context for us passages like Matthew 24, 13, where it says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That is a literal application of the doctrinal picture we're painting. Hebrews 13, 6, it says, um, if we kind of look at the underlying section here, But if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. So there's a holding unto the end. And again, we see this in Hebrews three fourteen. For we are made partakers of Christ if, conditional statement, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So again, doctrinally, these, these verses have to apply in our context of Jacob prevailing, of Israel, Romans 11, prevailing. This is why doctrine is so, so important. These verses shall, should and can be taken literally and applied but only to Jacob's day of distress. So We have to understand this. I want us to see it out of Genesis 35. In verses 1, you would see that, that God spoke to Jacob, and he says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God. And he, he tells him, hey, go back to, to Bethel, to the place where I first met you. And Jacob then says, hey, to his household, he turns and says, "Put away strange, the, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel. And then he says, I'm going to make an, an altar unto God. This is the part where I want us to see. Who answered me in the day of my distress that was with me in the way which I went. That day of distress, man, if you were to cross-reference this, it would take you to uh, um, Zephaniah 1, uh, 14 through 16. And again, if, if you keep in context of, of what we learned um, in Revelation 6, we're going to get another big clue here. It starts with, and the great day of the Lord is near. We learned that the day of the Lord, it's, is it Sunday? No, it's not Sunday, is it? I mean, it could be a Sunday. I don't, I don't know exactly, but it's not every Sunday. A lot of times, that's, what we established last time is the day of the Lord is the Lord's day. It's the, so we get a, a better picture of this as it, as it paints Out of these 12 things in verse 15, so the day of the Lord is near. And speaking of that day of the Lord, picking up at verse 15, I'm sorry. That day is the day of wrath, a day of trouble and, bingo, distress. So the day of distress is that day or the great day of the Lord. And then he goes on to to list a whole bunch of things describing that day. It's a day of wasteland and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpets and alarms against fenced cities and against the high towers. Again, grim picture, right? I mean, that's kind of the situation in in tribulation context. It's that great day of the Lord which begins in night and ends with the coming of the sun, S-U-N-R-S-O-N. There you go. Uh, So again, that kind of paints us doctrinally where we're at. And if you didn't get all that and if you're going, that's a lot. I left some references in your notes um, Cody and Jay can definitely clean that up so go to them with all your questions how about that um, but it's important because we, we need to be able to take passages literally out of Matthew and Hebrew and stuff like that so again so you're thinking okay you just went all through that doctrine and said it wasn't for me well kind of let's look at that d- devotional application that we can draw from the doctrinal so doctrinally we see how Jacob prevailed and was preserved in tribulation we're going to see how to glory in tribulation with patience and experience and hope as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that as Jacob was cut away and was left only to clean because he was a cripple, he was forever changed. So, man, if we're going to see how to, to make this fit in a tribulation context, let's look at Romans 5. This is a really, really strong passage. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore... Being justified by faith, again, that's, that's the Romans 4 kind of thing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and in the rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. That's all talking about our past salvation, our justification, if you will. Paul, Paul uses that and makes a transition, not only so, verse 3, but we glory in tribulation also. So as our past salvation, we're going to glory in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation work patience and patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope make us not ashamed. So again, as Jacob goes through this tribulation with God in, in the darkest of night kind of thing, we can make application for us because that tribulation helps us in the maturing. So I want to see this, again, let's think that passage and you kind of have to memorize that process, right? So we got tribulation, patience, Experience, hope, four things. I'm going to keep my fingers up for you. There you go. Um, Romans 15, 4. Check out this cross-reference. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Aha, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, Genesis 32. That we might through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So now, if we compare the the Romans 5, what we lit, if we, if we can Take those two crossroads. This is what we're left to deduce. That patience only comes through comfort of the scriptures. So if we were to have hope, we have to, man, if there's a, a tribulation and hope kind of end in the beginning, what ge- builds us that bridge is experience in the word of God. So that's what I'm hoping today. That as we compare these two verses, that we gain the experience to cling to the Word of God, just as physically we see Jacob the wrestler who clung, crippled to God. So here's our theme for today, and we're going to get into our first point. Uh, our theme is, in trials and tribulations, we're going to learn how to be halted in the dependency and strength of Christ. So first, our first point that I want to get to see is, parted in his position. And this comes out of verse 24 and 25. We're going to see that Jacob was cut away. Verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Man, before God could really deal personally with Jacob, one thing had to happen. Y'all get it? He had to be alone. To get alone, to hear from God, it's a principle supported all throughout Scripture. So I want us to take a look at some examples. First example in your notes is going to be out of Daniel 10, verse 8. It says, therefore, and if you were to read up in the passage, you would understand that this is the the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in his majesty and splendor. He says, therefore, I was left alone, because he was with a whole bunch of people, and when those people saw that sight, they split. So he was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in, in me into a corruption, and I retained no strength. So before... Daniel's going to get this revelation, uh, this kind of further um, revelation in, in chapter 10. He has to be cut away or left alone. We saw this example out of, of Romans 11 verse 3 with Elijah, where Elijah, if you remember, was cut away. But the one, the also one I, I want to show is, is, um, is out of John 8. It's the story with the woman and Jesus. Uh, if you remember, this woman was caught in adultery. She, it says that she's caught in the very act. Um starting verse eight and he stooped again uh and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they which uh they which heard it being convicted of their own conscience went out one by one beginning at the eldest even unto the last and jesus was left alone there it is and the one standing in the mist jesus lifted up himself saw none but the woman said unto her, woman, where are the, uh, those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, neither do, I, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So before the woman could hear what, what Christ had to say to her, there was a cutting way or she was left alone to get the words of Christ. So specifically to Jacob, here's what we need to see. His cutting away. So after all his plotting, all his scheming, all his planning, he finally had to come to a place where he was left alone. Jacob had to be separated. Jacob had to be separated from his wives, from his children, from his cattle, which picture for us provision and possessions. He had to be separated from the idols that were even in his house. And there God dealt with him. God dealt with him directly and dealt with him personally. So here's a key. Let God deal with you individually based on a personal altar of prayer, time, and devotion in the Word of God. You got individually prayer and Word of God that goes in your blank. Cut away was your other blank if you didn't get it. So we need to talk about this establishing of a personal altar. Our personal altar is our communication on which we we go to God. It's going to be prayer and the Word of God, just as the key said. Man. If we don't have a personal altar or a time in our life where we have designated the away to spend personal time in prayer and personal time in devotion to the Lord, we're going to miss it. We're not going to be allowing God to speak to us. But sometimes I wonder, maybe that's why people don't want to get away. They don't want to get alone with God in fear that maybe God would have to deal with them. Maybe God wants to do something in their life and they just don't want to hear it. And the easiest way is to stay in a group. Because in a group, it's easy because, man, you don't, you don't have to wonder. You'd be like, oh, that, was, that was for someone else. Clearly, it wasn't for me. But, man, if you're alone with God, alone in prayer, if you're alone in the devotions that are to the Word of God, God's going to deal with you directly. So we must personally consider that it can't be a we. It has to be a me. It can't be weak; It has to be me. It's your time in the Word of God. So teens, let me challenge you. There it is. That popped up like, like, like prayer dog. <laughs> uh, sorry, I broke that whole thing. So we need to establish personal. Teens, let me talk to you. Your faith cannot stand on your, on your parents. Your time in prayer and your time in the Word of God is what's going to make you able to stand through tribulations. You have, I love your parents, but their faith is not your faith okay? So you can get serious and be about that, wo- that, that book, and you can be serious in prayer and be a prayer warrior and change your life. Husbands, wives, your faith has to be independent of your spouse. God gave you, and they're a blessing, no doubt, but their time in the Word will not edify to you. Their prayers for you are, are helpful, but you need to spend time yourself in prayer. So Man, this, this idea is that we're getting cut away to, to sanctification, if you would, that we're establishing holiness through a, a personal altar. We even see this in the New Testament as Paul commands through an Old Testament reference in 2 Corinthians six seventeen and 18. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Did you catch it? Wherefore come out from among them, plural, be separate. And we we got to have a separation in our lives. So I'd ask you today: are you where you need to be? What keeps us, what keeps you, what keeps me from getting into the word of God in prayer? What do you have to walk away from? TV, family, man, all those possessions. I know what you're thinking, but God wants me to have those things, no doubt. God wants you to have. Your family, your wife, your kids, all that is great, but does he desire that in your life over a relationship with him? There has to be a point where your ministry to your kids, your ministry to your wife, your ministry to church and your personal devotions and your time and prayer have to be what fuel those things that can't keep you from them. To so be separate, it's not hard to understand. It just hurts to apply. Have you separated? Have you counted the cost? Because God is desiring to meet with you. Each one of us. We spend 24 hours a day. All of us here spend 24 hours a day. But the question is, how do you spend it? What decisions do you need to make today to clear a space and get alone? I'm going to hit this example real quick. One thing that I thank COVID for. I know that's a weird statement, but go with me. I thank COVID just for this. COVID gave me an opportunity to clear my calendar. Couldn't do anything, couldn't leave the house. And I thought, man, all those excuses. Oh man, if I only had time. Man, did you, did you read through the Bible like four times that year? Because you had time. Did you, was your altar of prayer so built up that man, you learned how to pray? I just, sometimes I think it's more about a desire than opportunity. So again, I would ask you, man, what is it that keeps you from being separated from the Lord? So as we consider being halted in the dependency and strength of Christ, this will require of us a separation and a willingness to get alone for God to speak to us through a personal altar. So that's, that's our first point, and I'd like to uh, kind of continue. So we're, we're going to need to build off of that because being alone isn't enough, right? We're going to need to learn how to be persistent and prevailing. I try to do a lot of Ps, um, we'll see how it works at the end um, so in our story in verse 26 it says um, Jacob is saying to the man or the angel of God I will not let thee go except thou bless me he was left to cling and if in the verses preceding this that angel touched the hollow of Jake's thigh and put it out a joint so what was he left to do this is a ref, wrestler. Or, or, he was clinging in desperation and dependency because on his own he couldn't stand. All he was left to do was to cling on to the man that crippled him. And he was left to cling on to the word of God or fall down in the dirt. Verse twenty says, or 27, And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now, we have to understand, for, for this to kind of take root, we have to understand this kind of one thing, right? Biblically, names oftentimes reveal character so when god changes his name it's a reflection typically of a change in character so so what's in the name right jacob what's here is, is jacob the supplanter. it's used two times in scripture both times it's used not good not good at all it's meant to it's someone that is undermining or usurping and it's it's just someone that kind of deals dirty if you know what i mean and you see this all through Jacob's life, right? Man, he was always like twisting the story, lying, deceiving, all to make sure that he could just come out a little bit ahead, right? So the, it's an interesting that, that Jacob, this happened one other time in his life, happened with his father, Isaac. You remember, Isaac was like, hey, what's your name? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm Esau. Oh, are you? And then, of course, they, they made all the, the him and his mother kind of scheme to make sure that like the lie wasn't easily detected. But the angel brings him right back to that, right? He's like, hey, who are you? And this time, left to cling to the Word of God, and he didn't lie. He didn't lie. So he had to confess. He had to confess and, and, and deal with his old man. Man, he wanted to lie. He was a supplanter. But he, he came face to face with the angel, as, as the angel asked. And then 20, verse 28 says... And he said, speaking of the angel, Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For thou are, for as a prince has power with God and with men and has prevailed. So this angel changes its name. It's, it says that, man, he, he now has power with God and men. So you got to remember, Jacob had power with men. Man, he, he, he outwitted Esau. He, he fooled Isaac. He even, man, if you go back to the, the cattle story, he duped old, old Laban too. So he had power with man. He, he was good on that. But that kind of manipulation wasn't going to work this time. He had to get humbled to a halt. He had to change the way he deals because God's dealing with him. He had to come in honesty. We see Jacob, who had to cling to the word of God, Jesus Christ. He said, man, I will not go except thou bless me. So Jacob had to come face to face before he could ever get to a place he had to deal with God based in honesty and he had to come to face to face with his old man so to speak and we have to have the same persistency I accept thou bless me I will not let thee go we have to have that same persistence in prevailing in the word of God so that brings us to a key that I want us to see we have to hold fast the form of his faithful his preserved words in faith so hold fast and words go in your blank. So it's interesting. We get some lessons from this wounded warrior, right? Wounded wrestler. Uh, there's two things I want us to establish. Um, I want us to see how to hold and what to hold. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the question on the table, right? Um, as a side note, um, just because I love you all so much, if you, if you flip your, your page over and you have to pull it from the bottom because it printed weird, on the back, you're going to see kind of biblically seven things we are committed to hold in the in the New Testament, and also some things on, in which way we hinder. That's for your personal study. That's that's things that man, if if you if you're not sure you've been holding the right thing and you're not holding the right way, that would be a really good study for you to go through and just kind of nail down in your life. So first, I want us to see. Go back to the other, other sheet. I want to hear all the pages turning around. Uh, let's talk about how we are to hold. And a good cross-reference to this, this event in, in Genesis 32 is Hosea 12, starting in verse 3. And he took his brother by the heel in the womb. Who's that speaking of? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. And by uh, his strength, he had power with God. Yeah, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Now, now we're going to see how Jacob wrestled he wept and made supplications unto him. And then, so that's the part we need to see. We need to see that Jacob wept and made supplications. Man, this pictures us in prayer. This pictures the earnestness and the asking that we have in prayer. It's the importance of weeping and making supplications in prayer. And that's why, again, that's why Wednesday night's really important. But it's it's also something we have to commit personally. So, again, he wept, man. You you search the New Testament, and Paul wept, man. He he is his love for people, his love for God's word, God's glory, lived, left him to to weep. That's earnest prayer. How earnest? If this was the metric of earnest prayer, how many of us don't raise your hand? How many of us would say, "You have earnest prayer, man." I've been I, again. I've saw this modeled more. Maybe I live in my life, but man, I've seen men in my life weep in prayer or. And what an awesome picture. That's earnest. That's, that's prayer that you're broken over. Accept God, move. Accept God, bless me. That's my only hope. That's earnest prayer. Making supplication. That's asking. What are you asking for? What is it? What is it? If God was to give you one thing, your heart's desire, what would it be? And we, we, it's, it's, again, Wednesday night, I, I kind of, I was in Genesis 32 as well, but I kind of made this point. What does it mean if we don't have prayer requests? Is, does is it mean that, that we don't have to cling because we would feel that our power, we can stand on our own? But man, as Jacob clings to, this, to the angel, he's weeping and making supplications because he knows that's his strength. And the other, the other way I want us to see how we hold is that we need to hold fast. So in First Thessalonians 5, verse 21, it says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 2 Timothy 1 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Tim, uh, Titus 1 verse 9, hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So we need to hold fast. That's in our key. But man, what, is, what does it mean to hold fast? Is that, is that how you speak? Would you say you hold fast? So we got to understand what, what fast is. Let me help you out. If I was to say fasten, you, you get in the picture yet? So if, if you were to fasten yourself or, or secure or be steadfast, that's how we have to hold. How we have to hold is secure. It, it's, it's fastened. It's steadfast. It's to the point of exhaustion, clinging. With both hands, all you got. And that's where, again, our, our bull rider illustration breaks down. You're allowed one hand, but I'm, af- I'm afraid that picture is actually what most Christians would probably do. Instead of holding on with dear life with both hands, they would opt, I got this with one. And there's, that's, old man might be showing a little bit there. Uh, so next I want to talk about what to hold. We are, y'all, we are gainfully out of time. I, I want that hour back. That's what I want. How about that? Y'all okay with that? Uh, what we are to hold, let's talk about that. Uh, Philippians 2, it says that we're holding forth the word of life. 1 Timothy 1, holding faith and good conscience. 2 Timothy 1, holding fast the form of sound words. So we saw that verse, but now it's the form of sound words is what we're holding. Titus chapter 1, we saw this verse as well, holding fast the faithful word. And to hold, you got to know what, where it's at. If I told you to hold something, your first question is like, okay, what is it? And where is it at? So, man, you got to know what you have and where it's at. I know what I have. I know where it's at. I know where God's words are, and I can hold them. And I don't mean, this isn't like a a picture. I'm holding God's word, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm quite literally holding every single one of God's words. I can say that. With absolute faith, I, I believe this with all my being, God has preserved his word in such a way that every single word, without error, without exception, I'm holding. Can you say that? Can, can you put your hands on what you believe is the word of God and hold it? Because if you can't, how are you going to hold fast? See what I'm doing? Both hands, holding fast. But the problem is, if I let this go, what am I holding? Nothing nothing. And that's so many of the positions that people would have you take. They would rather you surrender your grip to hold nothing but an academic process, to hold nothing but, but a construct, or, or most of them, or some of them, are basically the, or the principles, are really, really, like if God commands you to hold fast, he just wants you to hold. No, man, hold, hold the Word of God. You can, you're able to. Are you? are you holding the Word of God? And I'll tell you how it changed my life. How it changed my life is is once I knew what to hold and where to hold it, I knew what I was holding. I knew, I knew what I was holding was the Word of God, and I started to steam those words higher than my necessary food. I started to effectually believe on the words that I could hold. God got a hold of my life. He could do that because he could speak to me, and I had the confidence and authority to say, Thus saith the Lord, without doubt, without equivocation, I knew what I had. So I'd ask us, What holds us back? What hinders your holding? And there's a danger. There is a danger. Because there's there's a there's a wrong hold, if you will. There's a way you shouldn't hold. There's things you shouldn't be holding. So just as we talked about the what and the how of holding, I want to talk about the what and the how of, of the hindering of holding. The what, as you can see on the back of your sheet, it's holding, it's not holding what we should. It's not holding the head. In, in Colossians 2.19, it talks about these people that are vainly puffed up and they don't hold the head. They don't hold Jesus Christ. They don't hold the word of God. They hold the wrong thing. Next is how. Holding what we should, but holding it the wrong way. Uh Uh-oh, here it comes. Man, Romans 1, verse 18 talks about people that held the truth. Amen, brother! They held the truth. But how did they hold it? They held it in unrighteousness. That's not good. Man, is that you today? Are you holding the wrong thing? Are you holding on to an ideal, a concept, a principle, a worldview? Are you holding the truth... Man, we could be guilty of this. We have the words of God, right? Are you holding it are you holding it the right way? So let's start applying holding fast the form of his faithful and preserved words just so we could say, just like Jacob, I will not let thee go. Jacob was holding on to one thing. He never, ever in his mind doubted letting go. I don't know if he doubted, but I can say that he didn't let go with certainty. How about that? He never let go. He determined to never let go. He was not double-minded in his ways. He was not two ways about one thing. In Luke 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I understand that it's talking about God and mammon, but the principle still applies. You're going to hold to one and despise the other, but the problem is we think we can split our grip. We think that some way that we can hold and hold. The Word of God, let the Word of God correct us today. It says that you will hold to the one and despise the other. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Well, biblically, you do. Biblically, you do. That's the problem. So we can't split our grip. Man, we had a devotion on, on Wednesday night. I would encourage you to come. It was talking about seeking and setting your affections. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 it says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And it says, set your affection on things above. It doesn't say affections. You get one. You get one. You get one affection. You get, you get to hold to one or despise the other. You get one affection. You get one thing to hold. So Jacob set his affection on one thing angel, Christ, the word of God, I would pray that, that would be a heart today. If the first key was to establish a per- personal altar through getting alone, this key will be holding to that personal devotion in the word of God in prayer. Make it personal. We cannot just cling to check the box reading. So many times after we read, we're left nothing to hold on to. You can read, and you did. Way to go but reading for the sake of reading and not having a clear word from the Lord shouldn't be so so among us. You can maybe, hey, this is what I read chapter-wise. You maybe can recall some events, but you have nothing to say about how it applies to you and what God has for you in that. And we need to get away from, from the fact that that we, we check the box reading and we can, we can feel good and, and then we know biblically some stories, like kind of recite them like, oh, well, you know, Jacob did this and then this happened. Well, how, is, how, do, you, how do you live that out? Oh, I, whew, almost thought you were talking to me there for a second. Oh, oh, application, not my thing, right? Yeah, well, we need to use both hands to hold this. We can't be a Christian that has one arm tied behind our back and think we're a disciple of Christ. So let me encourage you, if you do choose to hold, choose to hold, choose to hang on, choose to hang in there, because blessing will come, just like in our verse. You see, there's coming an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For which cause we faint not, man, for which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed by day by day, for our light affection, affliction, which is for but a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, if we do hold on, if, if our outward man perishes, so our inward man can be renewed by, day by do, day by, through the comfort of the scripture, if that happens, we have to understand there's an exceeding eternal weight of glory that awaits us. So how does this fit into the theme of, of halting into the dependency and strength of Christ? Let me tell you, you gotta hold to the right thing. You gotta hold the right way. And God will give you his strength as we cling to his promises. You can have you can have patience and experience and hope at the end of tribulation if you cling to this book. If you cling to this book. So we talked about the first two points. I don't remember what they are. Third point's gonna be this powerful imposture. Uh we're getting towards the end, so buckle up, we're gonna we're gonna. About to take off landing. It's gonna be a hard one. All right. So we will we will see that Jacob, his walk is forever changed. In verse 31, it says he halted upon his thigh. Again, the name of the sermon, halted. Jacob halted upon his thigh. Surely after this, his walk was changed. Physically, you would you could tell that his walk was different than everybody else's. you ever seen those people that have a broke something or another? Man, their walk changed, and then from a ways away, you can be like, oh, that's old boy who has a limp. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like not everybody walks like that. So if you do, it kind of stands out. So the point is, man, his walk was changed. And because of that, and we can have a walk that's changed kind of through that. Uh, one thing I want us to understand is, is this thigh and sinew. This thigh, the thigh is pictured uh, in Scripture as the seat of strength. We even see this. Uh, A really good example is out of Revelation 19, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, check it out, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, it's a picture of his power right there on his thigh. We see that Jacob's thigh was out of joint, which brought him to the end of his his power and the strength in his flesh. That sinew we need to talk about that sinew, that strength, which was upon the thigh. So upon that thigh that, that is the seat of power is a sinew. Sinew. I'm sorry. My wife worked with me on this. It's sinew. The um, sinew is a tendon that, align, that that unites muscle and bone. It's your structure connected to what the muscle that does the work, right? So we see this in the plural form. It even, it's the source of, it's the the strength or the supply of strength. Um, so we see that the sinew, sinew, yep, uh, the thigh and the muscle and the bone. So you have bone, which is a structure. You have muscle is the power. That That connection, that piece that connects the structure to the power, that's what strength, that's what shrunk. So his power in his flesh shrunk. So for us, what we need to understand is that it shrank. And I keep saying shrank like like you're going to get it, but shrank. It wasn't gone. Why is that important? Well, it, it's important because as believers, we need to understand that our flesh is not gone. It shrank, but it's not gone. That means you still have to kill it. That means it's still a choice because you still have power in your flesh, but you have to choose to give over that power. He will be over forever halted, uh, halted upon his thigh which is a constant reminder of his face-to-face encounter with God. We see later uh, in the life of Jacob in Genesis 35, we're going to see that after this day, he had a testimony that after his day of distress, that he said that God was with me in the way in which I went. Man, it, he wasn't relying on, on the strength of that sinew that connected to his fleshly power. He was relying on the strength of God. So that brings us to our key. God's strength is made perfect and weakness. The first, if the first key was to separate unto an altar of prayer and the second was to cling to that altar, the third key is going to connect it by saying, this key, it's our source of strength. Our altar is our source of strength. So if we're going to be strong, it's going to be made perfect in our weakness as we tend to God through word and prayer. So I want us to see a comparison between Jacob's thigh as compared to Paul's thorn. So if you have your Bibles, um, it's, it's kind of a lengthy passage. So turn to 2 Corinthians 12 for me. I like it. I can hear some Bibles turning. That's So as you're turning there, you've got to remember the Corinthian church, uh, they even said Paul was weak in appearance but weighty and powerful in his letters. So he was weak physically, but man, spiritually, he was strong. And that's where I want us to see today is that God's strength is made per- perfect in weakness. Second Corinthians 12, "For though I would uh, desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, and now I for, uh, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or with- heareth of me." lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So you got to understand that Paul said he desires to glory, but he's not a fool to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, that he should think soberly. The problem is you can, you can read your own mail, you can read your own press and think that in the flesh that you're somebody. Paul said he had that desire, but he didn't. He understood that that he could be exalted above measure because of revelation, because of what he knew. People could look at him above what they should. So it was given him a thorn in the flesh. Just like Paul's thorn in the flesh, we see Jacob's thigh. Previously, he had power with men, but now he had to rely. He had to halt against the power of God. The Lord knows how to keep us humble. Continuing to verse eight, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and approaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Listen to that. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It's a process. It's just not automatic. There has to come a weakness before you get strength. So it's clear the source of strength is not in our flesh. Our flesh has to be made weak. So the grace of God, so God's glory can manifest and not our glory. So we need to seek to apply this key and understand how God works through our weakness. And I kind of want to hang on the rim of this point because the best I can tell, this is where we're going to struggle. I think in our, in our, in our weakness, in our so for us, weakness and humility aren't valued in our society. Our filter is typically through ease and comfort. To endure hardness or to imagine godly suffer, suffering is far from us. At some point, we have to conclude, just like Paul, that God's grace is sufficient. He besought him thrice. God didn't take it away. God's grace is sufficient. So this is our position in power, weakness. So after being separated, after clinging to God, after seeing Him face-to-face, we should be different forever. We should be. Because Paul said, therefore will I take pleasures in. And he lists a whole bunch of things. Why? Why why did Paul go through all those things? Why? I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Y'all get that? He would rather glory in infirmities to at least have access to the power of Christ that rests upon him. So making it personal, I'm afraid that not many of us would would give up our infirmities to access the power of Christ. I'm afraid that in our infirmities, we see the power of Christ, and then immediately when our trials are over, we're done with him. We we wouldn't stay submitted and weak before God. Like Jacob's thigh was healed, um, but knowing... Uh, God could answer him in his time, times of distress. God could have healed his thigh. But the problem was that, man, the grace of God, if, if God pulled you out of every circumstance, what wouldn't happen in your life is, is the increase of godliness through suffering. You don't know how to get through things until you've been through things. We need to understand that the connection for us to the fellowship of Christ is through suffering. Philippians 3.10 says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm good with that one. And the fellowship of his sufferings, uh-oh, but mean being made conformable unto his death. See, we're okay with the, the power of the resurrection, but when it comes to the fellowship of the sufferings, hard pass, right? mm No. No. But the problem is, it's just like God to do this, right? Because it only makes sense uh, if I was to tell you, well, if you're weak, then you're strong. I mean, logically. And, and it makes sense that the first shall be last. Absolutely. Anybody that gets there logically doesn't understand English because it, you can't view it logically. Those things have to be viewed through the lens of faith. The only way that you are made to know him is through the sufferings. The only way that you can be f- truly free when without liberty is to be fully submitted to God. The only way to be first is to be last. Like That's how God has it, and you have to believe it by faith. That's it. So don't despise what God intends for your growth. Paul says... I would rather glory in my infirmities. So again, let's look back at Romans 5. See, I would rather glory in my infirmities. And he writes in, in Romans, not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Is that you today? Are you thankful for what God has you and where he has you at, that you can grow thereby? See, we seek ease and comfort But it's hard to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ or to suffer godly, knowing that that our maturity and the hope that comes with it. Man, Do we value maturity in Christ or do we just seek comfort from our circumstance? So let me encourage you with this. If you suffer, you will be rewarded. 2 Timothy 2 talks about if we suffer, we shall also reign with him, talking about at the judgment seat of Christ. There is there's a point to your sufferings, man, it's to connect you with, with Christ, absolutely. But the other part is, man, there are rewards at the end because God is a good God. So, man, as we're talking about being halted in the dependency and strength of Christ, if we are to live in the power of Christ and to live in his strength, it will be because of, we glory in tribulations knowing that God is growing a faithful minister because, you can say with Paul, for when I'm weak, then am I strong. So I'd ask Cody to come. Let's, let's wrap this thing up. I appreciate your time and attention. Thank y'all for bearing with me. Um, but man, I want to I kind of... There's one area in my life that I absolutely, as I was kind of studying this out, that I remember God taking me through all three of these steps. It was discipleship. This, this area for me in discipleship, I had to separate as I counted the cost. I had to decide if I was just too busy or what reasons I had that I was not going to take the next step in my growth. And then, as I decided to separate, man, discipleship came, and my world came upside down. My my marriage came off the hinges. My kids went crazy. My work did wild, weird things. But all the while, man, I I noticed that I had to cling. I knew where I had to be, but I knew I had to cling to the Word of God. But I'll say this, man, I learned that the weakness of my flesh that God could glory in my life. uh, People even saw the difference in my walk and I I, I was learning how to walk with the Lord. I saw how worship and walk according to the word of God and it added strength and power of Christ in my life, how I could cling in trials and get experience and comfort through the word of God. That started the lesson of enduring hardness as a a good soldier. So for people, I I would say this, discipleship. Man, that is how God intends to grow you. What is your reasons if you haven't? If not, why not kind of thing, right? The next one is this. If you are a disciple, man, could you say that you are different at the end than the beginning? Are you, are you living a life that's, that's different than the beginning? Conviction is not enough. Leaving convicted is one thing, but we need to leave committed to obedience to what God had for you today. So in this, I'd ask you to consider Are you where you at? Are you where you should be today? Are you separated unto a personal altar of of prayer in the word of God? Are you too busy to read your Bible? Are you too busy to pray? Is God worth being personally connected to through his word and prayer? If he is, make that commitment. Are you afraid of what God would say if you got alone with him? What, What would he require you to change? Are you still clinging to the word of God? Do you know that you have the word of God? Are you holding fast to the Word of God and doctrine? Man, again, if you would just kind of close your eyes, and, and I'm going to close this in prayer. But